Boy, I believe what we just experienced is a taste of what is to come. Just to experience his power, his glory, his spirit, and just to enjoy the presence of the Lord. He is here, church. You know that? He is here. By his presence, he is here. And do you know something else? You are part of a kingdom. You are part of a kingdom. God has brought you into his kingdom. He's taken you out of the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, because you're a believer in him. He's transferred you. You live in in, in his kingdom. What a beautiful, glorious truth. What a beautiful, glorious truth. Turn in your Bibles this morning. We're continuing our break, um, our our Christmas break from our study of uh, 2 Timothy. We have had two special messages, one last Sunday and one today. So please turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalms 24. Psalms 24. And the title of my message this morning is The King of Glory. The King of Glory and what does he require of me? What What does God require of you? What better question could be asked? out 2019 and we enter into 2020. Let's look into his word and see what he requires of us. To see what what the Lord requires of us. Let's read read Psalms chapter 24 and then I'll, I'll break it down verse by verse. Psalms 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and establish it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who does not lift up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for this special message that you have for us as we transition from 2019 to 2020. Lord, knowing that you're going to do great things in our church. But, Lord, you require something of each and every one of us individually. And so, Father, let us see that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. In studying, I was wanting a special message for this last Sunday of 2019. And I was studying about five psalms. I was looking at five of them. And this psalm just gripped me. I, once I read it, I couldn't leave it. I just, I, I just had to meditate on, on it all week. Because it talks about two things. One, the king of glory. And the king of glory is the Lord Jesus Christ. But also within this psalm is what does he expect of us? What does he expect of us? After a person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, you know, God expects things of that believer. He expects him to to walk in obedience and to pattern his life 
after Christ Jesus. And that's very important. But this is a big question. What does the Lord require of me? This is the ultimate question that everyone needs to ask. What does God expect from me in this short life that I live? This question is bigger than what college you will go to. It's, it's bigger than what career you will, you will endeavor to do. It's, it's a bigger question than who you will marry. And Psalms 24 answers this big question. Now, it answers the question in a twofold way. One is for the person who hasn't been born again, for the person who's not a Christian. You know, that person needs to come to Christ Jesus. They need to come to the King of glory and to experience forgiveness of sin, to experience being born again through repentance and faith. That's what God requires. And many people, I know a lot of people who have come to that point of salvation and they're a believer. But my friend, it doesn't stop there. The, the, the testimony of the New Testament and the Old Testament and all of the Bible is God expects us to live lives that are dedicated, that are, that are dedicated to him. So we're going to break down this passage with that, with that thought in mind. What does the Lord require of me? So let's take a look at it. Psalms chapter 24. Let's look at the very first verse. Psalms 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. Verse 1 here in Psalms 24, it establishes why God has the right to place expectations on us. Why? Because he is the creator. He is the creator. He owns everything. You know, a lot of us own some land. A lot of us own a house. But in reality, you don't. You just own a piece of paper that says you do. The earth is the Lord's. Everything in the world, it belongs to God. He is the one that uh, created it. And he is the one that owns it. Everything there is. God is not living for a believer, for us today, God is not living in our world. We're living in his world because he owns it all. His evidence is everywhere and all around us. Whether you look at the human body or you look out into the universe, you look at a beautiful sunset. Have you ever walked across Lake Murray, Lake Murray Dam, the little walkway there along the dam? I have many times, and one of the greatest times to do it is at sunset. Because what do you see across Lake Murray? You see that beautiful sun right there at the tree line and the light coming off the, uh, the lake, and it's just beautiful. And I remember one day I was out there, and I had just had this awesome revelation. I looked across there, and I saw this beautiful, glorious, golden sunlight coming off the lake, and it was so beautiful. And I was like, and they think that happened by chance? No way. No way. He... He, he sounds off around the planet to, to who he is through creation. He, he, he speaks of who he is through the birth of a newborn baby and all the science that's involved in a husband and a wife in creating a baby. It's a supernatural miracle that speaks to us of the evidence of who he is. The beautiful peaks of, of Mount Everest speak of how great and how awesome he is. We see God's handiwork in the structure of the DNA and the cell. He is the designer. Psalms chapter 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, 
and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they display knowledge of who he is. To see, one of the ways, two ways that God reveals himself to all people. One is through creation. We see creation. And because there is creation, there is a creator. And it didn't happen by chance. That's, called, that's what we call general revelation. But then there's special revelation. And special revelation is what you and I are looking at right now as we look at his word. This is special revelation that tells us intimately who God is. He is the designer. This is, be encouraged, Christian. You are living in your father's world. You are living in your father's world. The earth is the Lord's. And look, and look what he says. And all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. He owns everything. And we need to keep that in mind, that he owns everything and that he is in control. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. You know, there's, every verse in the Bible has meaning. Every verse in the Bible has something that God is, is, is trying to communicate to us. And verse 2 says, it says, He has founded the worlds, the land, upon the sea. Do you know how big the ocean is? Do you know how awesome it is? About three weeks ago, we went on a cruise, and we cruised across the Gulf of Mexico down to Mexico. And that is just some of the most beautiful, pretty water to look out across that ocean and see this beautiful blue water and to see these little flying fish skipping across the top. Have you ever seen those before? Uh, we're, we're out, you know, of all the fun things to do on a cruise, Pastor David is looking out at the window saying, Honey, come here, come here, look, look, look at these little flying fish. But it's beautiful. It speaks of God's majesty. I was in the Navy. I was on an aircraft carrier, the Eisenhower. I've, I've crossed the Atlantic three times by ship. My, on my, after my third visit to the Mediterranean in the Persian Gulf, I got flown back. But I've crossed that Atlantic three times. It is, you know how big the ocean is? It is humongous. It is beyond your, your fathomable mind when you think about an aircraft carrier doing 40 knots across the Atlantic. It still takes 10 days going 24 hours a day to get over to Spain. There is a lot of water out there. Now, looking at verse 2, I find this, this verse fascinating because King David lived in Israel. He lived there in Jerusalem. And there's a likely chance, I don't know this for certain, but there's a likely chance that King David, he never saw the Red Sea. He never saw the Mediterranean. He never had a, a globe or a map. King David didn't have Google Earth. King David could not understand how big the oceans were. Yet God supernaturally, in verse 2 that we're looking at this morning, God supernaturally reveals what dominates the surface of the planet. The waters. The, the oceans. The, he, he wasn't able to see it. But yet, if you look at a globe, it, he's, he's founded the land upon the seas. They border each other. And he is in sovereign control of all of it. All of the oceans, all of the seas, all of the river, and all of the land. Verse 3. Let's look at verse 3. Here's where we start getting into what does, what does God require of you and I. Verse 3 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? Another way, another way we could phrase this question is, 
Who can enter God's presence? Who can enter the Lord's question, his presence, his presence? How can, um, how can I be right before the Lord? This is a question that, that every human being should ask if they have any common sense. Is, is there a creator? And if there is, what does this re- creator re- require of me? So he's asking this question in verse 3. But at the very end of verse 3, he says, And who may stand in this holy place? King David, as he's, as he's pinning verse 3, he's reminding us here that God is holy. That God is holy. And as we move into 2020, we need to remember that uh, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And one of those attributes of the Lord is God is holy. Revelation chapter 4 says, The angels surround the throne and they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before Christ, he had a vision of God's holiness. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5 says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one called out to another, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. And then verse 5, he says, uh, So Isaiah sees the holiness of God. He sees how majestic and how holy he is. And look at Isaiah's response in verse 5. Remember, Isaiah is a believer. He's a prophet of God. And and look at what he says in verse 5. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. My friend, if you understand who God is in truth, you will understand that God is holy. And we need to remember that. He's not our pie in the sky. He's not our chum. He's not our buddy. He's our friend and our Lord and our God, but he is holy and he is majestic. And we should approach him as such, that he is holy. How going, uh, what does God require of you and I? What, what does what does God require of all human beings who come into this world. We, you know, all human beings are what? They're fallen. They're fallen by the curse. They're fallen sinners. Just like you and I. They were fallen, but what does he require of them? One way. There's one way for fallen, fallen man to stand in God's holy place that, that, David, that David is talking about here in verse 3. And the one way is to go to the cross. To go to the cross that is how a, 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 a fallen individual who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who is not a believer, how do, they, how do they go into his holy place? They go to the cross. And at the cross, they're completely forgiven when they repent and believe. And he washes away their sins by the blood he shed in his death at Calvary. Now, you've heard that many times. You've heard that many times from many pulpits. If you've been a Christian uh, any amount of time, you've heard that. You know, you understand they got to go to the cross. But what you also need to understand is it continues after you come to Christ. 
it, it, it continues as you live out the Christian life that we um, are called to live holy, dedicated lives. Not in some legalistic manner or some ritualistic manner like the Pharisees, but it's a, it's a, it's a real work of the Holy Spirit. As you begin this new journey with Christ, um, the Holy Spirit comes in and he produces holiness. He produces a commitment in you where you say, you know what, I am growing in Christ. And I am committing my life to living a life of moral purity. Not to say I won't blow it along the way and I bring it to a throne of grace and I get back on the, the path of following him. But he, he requires of us, he requires of us to live dedicated lives. And I believe that's where King David is going at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 can, uh, I see four things that God requires of us in verse 4. See if you pick up on it. Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, and who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. Here it is, guys. This is where I was meditating on this week. This is where I came up with my sermon title, What Does the Lord Require of Me? And then I got to church this morning and said, Hey, guys, add something else to that title, The King of Glory. What does the King of Glory, the King of Glory is King Jesus. What does he require of you? Look at verse 4. The first one in verse 4 is he requires of us to have clean hands, to have, to have clean hands. Now, he's not talking about going and washing your hands in the sink with some soap. You need to do that too. But when he, when he talks about having clean hands, he's talking about our, our actions towards others, how, how we treat other people, how we live out everyday life. Christianity is not just on Sunday morning. It's every day of your life. It's your whole life being committed to how you live out everyday life. It's important. How we live, how we treat others. Um, how we treat others. Our sexual purity. You know, we're called to live, to, to abstain from sexual immorality and live pure and holy, dedicated lives for Christ. And my friend, there's only one way you can do that. You can't do that in your own strength. You have to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, guys. Get, hear me out real quick. This is very important because I don't want some of you guys to go off on a legalistic trip. Surrender to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, please begin to produce these fruits in my life and let it be driven by the Holy Spirit and not your own flesh or not your own willpower. Does that make sense? That's what we have to do. We surrender to the Holy Spirit. We wash our minds with the Word of God. And then just like a tree, the apple tree out in the woods, it just begins to produce fruit. That's what the Lord does. The Lord does it as, as we delight ourselves in Him. He gives us clean hands. He enables us to live... Uh, not a perfect life, but a, an, an upright life where, where, where we live to please him. The second one there in verse 4, it says, uh, uh, he calls you and I to have a pure heart. You know, um, we're called to keep our hearts pure. How do, you, how do I keep my heart pure, Pastor David? Well, my friend, your heart has two openings. Your heart, your spiritual heart, not your physical heart, your spiritual heart, that who you are on the inside, it has two gateways. 
And the gateways is your eyes and your ears. And we have to be careful what we let enter into our eyes and what we listen to with our ears because that is the gateway to your heart. What you put in your heart is what you will become. What's in your heart will, will manifest itself in the way you live. So we're called to have pure hearts to flee from sin. And a pure heart. And how do we um, control what, what goes into our eyes and goes into our ears? By what you're doing this morning. By reading the word and studying it and listening to preaching. But don't let it just be just on Sunday mornings. Let this be Monday through Saturday also. In your quiet time, in your devotional time, in your time in the morning, you spend time in the Word, and you listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to the Word of God. You let the words from, on the pages of Scripture go into your eyeballs, into your brain, and into your heart. And that is how the Holy Spirit enables us to live a holy life. Number three, looking at verse four, he says, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehoods? To, to, to lift up your soul, when, when this, this phrase is used in verse 4, to lift up your soul means to trust in something. And it means to, to place anything or to trust in anything above the Lord. You know, our soul, there's a lot of things we do in life. There's a lot of things we enjoy. There's a lot of things that we find joy in, and that's perfectly normal. But ultimately, our heart's joy, what we what we um, lift up our souls to is God. It's to God and God alone. Not to Pastor David, not to Calvary Chapel, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. To him and him alone is who you lift your soul up to. I'm just here to help you along the way, just to teach you what the Bible says, and come to church and worship the Lord and, and be encouraged and be challenged. That's what God requires of us. Church is very important. Church is very, very important that, that, that you are connected to a body. Because, my friends, you're going to go through some tough times. You're going to go through some challenging situations. You may even be tempted to fall away. And one of the things that God uses to help you in this area of your life is the local church. The local church where you can find encouragement and strength and accountability. That's, those things are so vitally important to help you along the journey. We're here to help each other. Look to the person to the left and right and say, I'm here to help you. We're here to help each other. We're here to help each other. We're here to build each other up. You don't, you, I, you, we're not here to tear you down, but we're here to build you up and to point you to the Savior. Okay, the final one in verse 4. The final one in verse 4 at the very end. He says, um, and has not uh, sworn deceitfully. Talking about words we use you know christians we we are called to not to not lie and we're and we're called to not to see to to deceive people we, we are to what does, what does the scripture say we're to speak the truth in love we're to speak the truth in love that should be when, I, when when we open our mouths to to our spouse to our children to our friends to our pastors to to the people around us we're called to speak the truth in a spirit of love. That's what God requires of you. Uh, Jesus, he laid the wood on the Pharisees. If you don't believe that, go look at Matthew chapter 23 and 24. He said, you brood of vipers. He, he, you you stonewash 
religious people, he, he, he came down hard on them. They were so judgmental, and they were so filled of religious righteousness, not God's righteousness, but, but their own pharisaical thoughts, that there was no love in them. There was no truth in them. There was no speaking the truth in love. They just wanted to condemn everybody else and lift themselves up. And that's not the way a Christian lives. And the thought that you can live any way you want, my friend, after you become a Christian, that's, that's floating around right now in Christianity, that you can come to Jesus Christ, profess him as Lord and Savior, and that you can go out and live any old way you want to, and you're fine. It's not biblical. It's just, it's just not biblical. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches that a person can just come to Christ, receive him as their Lord and Savior, and then go live ever how they want to. They punch their ticket. You know, they got their fire escape insurance, as some people like to call it, but that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that after a person commits their life to Christ, they, they should commit their life to following the Lord. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 16, Peter says it well. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And again, when you hear this phrase, when you hear this phrase, this is repeated four times in Scripture, be holy, for I am holy, you got to remember, the first way a person becomes holy is by going to the cross. And when you go to the cross, you are made completely holy. You are made completely holy by the righteousness of Christ that's imparted to you. It's not about, about a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's done. It's finished at the cross. But then after that, you're called to walk in obedience. And we're called to live in the Spirit as we continue on and we move forward in the Christian life. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 here says, And he shall receive blessing. I love this verse. Oh, we love the blessing verses. I mean, but let's look at it. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And to that I say, there is a real blessing in serving the Lord. You know, we come to Christ, we repent, we believe, we receive him, we live in him. It's not done there. Our interaction with God is not finished at the cross. It continues throughout your whole life. It continues throughout your whole life. After you come to Christ, you get benefits. You get benefits, the Bible says. One of those benefits is you get to experience his peace. You get to experience the peace of God that transcends all understanding. You know, you find yourself in a difficult situation. You find yourself in turmoil. Things are going south. You can have the peace of God in your soul. That's a benefit of the Lord. He will give you peace in the midst of the storm. How about joy? You know, I like some joy. How about you? I like to have joy. I like to have joy in my life. I like to, feel, I like to be a, live a joy-filled life. Not this religion, religious, long-faced, relig religious life, whatever I'm trying to say. But a life filled with joy and happiness. You know, none of this, I know what the word was. No long-faced religion. No long-faced religion. But a life filled with joy in our hearts because we're right with the Lord. 
and and his spirit is working in us, it brings great joy. It enables me to lay my head on my pillow at night and sleep in peace because I have this joy deep down inside of my heart. And that's what the world needs. And it's a byproduct of salvation. His blessing, God's blessing on our children. You know, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he will get older, he will not depart. Now, I know some, some children are, are obedient, and they're following the Lord, and that's great. And we see some of our children that aren't not always following the Lord and who fall away. But I still rest, and I trust in the promises of God. And I know that he will be faithful. And I know because I've honored the Lord and I've committed my life to him, and I've served him, I'm, I'm believing the very best for Emily and Daniel. I'm believing the best. And I know that God's going to sovereignly watch over my children. There, there, there's blessing and obedience, his power in our life. You know, let's not forget the work of the Holy Spirit's power in our life to give us victory over the flesh, to, to, to lead us in our everyday life, to give us power to say no to temptation, and to say no to the things of the flesh. His power is real. His power is real. I have to pull you aside when I talk to you about all the things that Pastor David's been addicted to in his life. The drugs, the alcohol, the fornication, all the stuff that, that haunted my ancient past. And I remember at one point in life, I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to never break free. These things are going to kill me. I remember I came to that conclusion. I'll, I'll never break free but then I came to Christ. Some of those things instantly broke off. Some of those things broke off with discipleship and accountability. But there's there's his power. His power is in our life. There's a, um, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord, righteousness from the God of his salvation, verse five. There's a special awareness of his presence in our life, okay? The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. And he's, and one one of the works of the Spirit is, he will take from the Lord, and he will make it known to you. His presence is there with us in our difficult time, in our difficult trial. And we need to remember that. The Holy Spirit speaking into our life. You know, the one, the one, another one of the blessings, verse 5, the, it says there, He shall receive a blessing from the Lord. Is the Holy Spirit leading our life, guiding us, and speaking to us given us revelation of what is written in the word and you're going about in everyday life and all of a sudden you're in a bad situation and the Lord gives you a special word and gives you a special instruction. You know, there's blessings after we come to Christ. His presence and his power and his glory working in and through us. That is the blessing from the Lord. He, verse 5, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. I think I read it four times now. Beautiful verse. Verse 6, this is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Now, verse 6, who's, what's he talking about? He's talking about what was just covered in verses uh, 2 to 5. But this is uh, what God desires us to be. To be that generation of those who seek him. Let's make that our mission in 2020. To be those people that seek his face. You know, the theology of church. You know, a lot of people will say that the church gathering on Sunday morning, I hear this a lot, is for the lost. That's not biblical. 
When we gather together as a church body, your reason for coming to Sunday morning service or Wednesday night is so that you can be equipped, so that you can get into the Word and to be fed. But then after that, after we seek the Lord in prayer and in His Word, then we're empowered by the Spirit to go out these doors and touch those around us and invite them to come and see what the Lord is doing, to share with them the gospel of salvation through Christ Jesus. But we got to get these things right first. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Let us be that internally here within the body, those who seek his face, those who study his word. And then let it pro- produce fruit on the outside as we witness to those around us. This is who God desires us to be. This generation of those who seek him, the people who walk upright, people who are committed to him, people, Christians, believers that pattern their life, not after the world or the culture, but pattern their life after the the word of God. That is what he requires of us. That is what God requires of you. And do not take it in a legalistic manner, uh, as in, i got to go do this. But take this to the Lord in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, I'm surrendering to you. Uh, I'm surrendering to you now in this moment, and I'm reading your word. Will you produce these things in my life? Will, will Will you help me in these areas of my life? And that's the key to these things coming to pass. Now, let's look at verses 7, 7 through 10. We'll read it, and then, I'll, then, I, and then I'm going to um, give you some different views of it. They're all beautiful. Verses 7 through 10 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Beautiful passage. Did you catch Did you catch the first half to the second half? It's a repeat. It's a repeat. It's the same phrase repeated uh, twice in verses 7 through 10. And there's really there's really four different views of this passage of scripture and pastor David agrees with all four of them. Okay? Just so you know, there's four different views. The first view of verses 7 through 10 is that this was fulfilled when David marched into Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And imagine a military convoy as David is leading the convoy. They've got the Ark of the Covenant. They're taking it into Jerusalem. And they get, I don't know, I'm I'm just going to... They they get a good distance away from Jerusalem. Look at verse 7. The commander of the convoy, or or, or whoever was in charge of the convoy that was bringing the Ark of the Covenant, would sound off to the city of Jerusalem. In verse 7, he would say, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. We're bringing the Ark of the Covenant. So open up gates. The gate guard there at Jerusalem He would respond, look at verse 8. He would respond with, who is the king of glory? The commander would respond, 
the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. They were taking the Ark of the Covenant. What, rest, what was above the Ark of the Covenant? The presence of God. The, the presence of God. So he said, the Lord and mighty. So, so they're traveling. They're getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. Then they get a little bit, they get half, the, they get like, I don't know, a couple hundred yards. They're, they're really close. And for the final time, look at verse 9, the commander of the convoy would call out again for a second time. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And the gate guard would respond again in verse 10. Who is the king of glory? And the commander of the convoy with the Ark of the Covenant would say, The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. So that's one view. It is very biblical. Uh, a lot of scholars will say that that's what is being talked about here in verses 7 through 10, was it was King David going into Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. They were taking the Ark to where it belonged, the city of God, the city of, of, of Jerusalem. You go back and read that passage, David was dancing and celebrating, and the musicians were playing. It was a joyous occasion as they took the Ark and the presence of God into Jerusalem. That is one view. And to that view, I say amen and amen. Beautiful, great passage. Great way to, to see that passage. The second um, view of verses 7 through 10 is they see this as a fulfillment of the ascension of Christ. Remember back there in what Acts chapter 1, after his death and resurrection, that uh, it says that he was taking up into heaven, a cloud hid him from the sight, and he was entering into the throne room of God in a place that the Bible calls the third heaven. That Paul calls it the third heaven. John calls it the, uh, the new Jerusalem in the book of Revelations. But that's another view that it, this, this is a prophetic picture of Christ's ascension. And to that, I say amen. Praise the Lord. Wonderful, beautiful view that it, it was Christ going into the city of the new Jerusalem, the third heaven, um, and taking a seat at the right hand of God. Beautiful view. The third view uh, is uh, this is a fulfillment in the future millennial kingdom that you and I will be a part of. And that is this. At, at the end of the great tribulation, Christ will return. He will destroy the Antichrist, and we will go into what the Scripture says is a, a literal 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ, where Christ reigns on the earth. And in this millennial 1,000-year reign that's talked about in Revelation chapter 20, uh, there will be the new Jerusalem, the holy city that comes down out of heaven, and it is like the headquarters of the new earth. And this is a, some people believe this is a prophetic picture after the battle of Armageddon, I hope you're following all this, but after the battle of Armageddon, where Christ goes into the temple and establishes the millennial reign. That is another view of this beautiful passage that, hey, you and I might be a part of this as he goes into the kingdom. And to that view, I say amen, amen, and amen. Now, you ready for the fourth view? The fourth view, I'll, I'll, I'll love them all. I really like this one. F.B. Myers says, concerning his view of verses 7 through 10, he says, uh, 
This scripture is fulfilled in us when, when we open our hearts to him and he reigns as king. Wow. When he, when it, it, this scripture that we're, he's talking about here is fulfilled in the human heart when you and I open our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to that I say, amen, amen, amen. And the fourth one, amen. It's a beautiful view. Christ Jesus the title of my message is The King of Glory. What does the Lord require of me? Who is the King of Glory? Jesus. Jesus is the King of Glory. He is the King of Glory now, and He will be the King of Glory throughout the ages. He will be the King of Glory in the millennial reign. He'll be the King of Glory throughout eternity. But let's just look at this, this, these phrases in verses 7 and 10. How many times does He say King of Glory? He says it one, two, three, four. He repeats four verses. He uses the phrase king of glory five times. Five times he talks about the king of glory. The king of glory being Jesus. When we use that phrase of who Jesus is, we're saying Jesus is the most awesome and powerful king. He is the, he is the most, if, that, if that's proper English, I'm sure I'll find out later. But he is the most powerful and he is the most awesome king in all existence, in all the universe. King Jesus. He is our king. He is awesome. The, and, I, and I can't help but look at this phrase, um, the king of what? The king of glory. Jesus, our savior, the son of God. He is the centerpiece of the glory of God. Jesus is the centerpiece of the glory of God. He is the king of glory. He is the glory. He is the, the great I am. He is the most magnificent one. He is the king of glory. And check this out. He invites us to partake in this kingdom. How beautiful, how glorious is that? Let's come to church and lay aside the arguments and the disagreements and let's celebrate and let's rejoice that God has invited us into this kingdom where he is the king of glory. And let's rejoice in that, that the king of glory is living in our hearts. And then the other phrase, I have to bring these up because they're so important. In verses 7 through 10 is uh, Christ Jesus. He is there um, in verse 10. Verse 10, he says, um, he is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of hosts. That word Lord in the Old Testament is, is Yahweh or Jehovah. It means it, 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 it is the, the most holy name that can be attributed to God because he is holy. But it, it is the most holy name, Yahweh. Back, back in those ancient days, they would not even say that name. The, the, the temple priests would not even say that name, Yahweh, like we say it today. He, his name was so holy, they would just say, yeah, because they, they were so scared to abuse his name and to misuse his name because it's the, um, the third commandment, I believe. The third commandment says you shall not use God's name in vain. And they were so concerned over not using his name in vain that they would not say Yahweh. They would say Yah, Yahweh. They would, they would celebrate him. And then, and then Jehovah, the most holy name of who God is. When you, when you hear this phrase in Scripture where it says, Lord of hosts, 
it basically means that God, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus, he is strong and mighty. He is strong and mighty. Jesus is our shield around us. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is your shield around you. He is your Lord of hosts. He is the one that, uh, I love that song by Chris Tomlin, I can't remember the name of it, but he is the one that, that goes before us. He is the one that, that goes behind us. He is the one that fights our battles. Do you need someone to fight your battles? Are you going through a struggle? Are you going through a difficult season? Are you in spiritual warfare? Do you need someone to fight your battle? Call on the Lord of hosts. Call on the Lord of hosts. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention what host means. The Lord means Yahweh or Jehovah. And this is of hosts. The host simply means the uh, heavenly angelic armies. And that, 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 that phrase, Lord of hosts, basically means he is the king of heaven's armies. And he fights our battles. He fought the battles for ancient Israel. He'll fight your battle today. Amen? This is what I present to you this morning as we close out 2019 and we go into 2020. This is what the Lord requires of us. That we follow the king of glory in everything we say, in everything we do, in every outreach, in every singing, in every teaching. That our goal when we're studying the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, on a Wednesday night, is to follow the king of glory. Because he is worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen. If you're here and you don't know the king of glory, it's, it's, salvation is like a coin. It has two sides. It's called repentance and faith. You say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. And I repent. And then you turn that coin over and you say, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. Please come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. And when you do that, guess who's on your side? The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts and the King of glory. That's what it takes to follow him. Now, secondly, um, as we close with the worship song, we're going to have uh, prayer counselors in the back. If you're here and you need special prayer, please give us the opportunity to pray for you if you're going through a difficult situation. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalms chapter 24. Lord, thank you that we're able to go back and look at this beautiful book, and it's relevant for 2019. So, Lord, we, we praise you. We thank you for it. And, Lord, let us, as we move into 2020, live lives that are dedicated to you Lord, not that we just acknowledge you with our lips and with our heart, but we acknowledge you in the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.